Today's podcast episode was with Ross Chowdicott of Kind. Kind are a company that's making it easier for other software companies to get started. They've just raised a huge round of funding from Blackbird and other investors and are making waves into the startup world. If you haven't heard about them yet, you're going to be hearing a lot more about them soon. Today we talked about design, Ross's career journey, and him starting Kind. Hope you love this episode. Welcome back to the Satchel Madden Show. Now today is a very special day because this is the first time we actually have someone in our new studio here in Dinehurst. And I couldn't think of any better guest to be the first guest in the pod house um, other than Ross. Um, so yeah, Ross, thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> yeah, thank <laughs> thanks for coming on, Ross. Um, in preparation for today's episode, we asked a few friends about Ross's startup kind. And actually, the reason why we're doing the podcast is that we had so many friends coming up to us. I was like, you've got to interview these kind guys. This is going to be the biggest startup. This is the most talked about startup. And I don't think me and Satchin have actually experienced that before. This sort of organic growth of a company that is this young, that is pre-product, but everybody seems to talk about it. So for just a bit of context, Ross started this company called Kind, which is essentially a dev acceleration business, which is helping other software companies get off the ground. We'll go into what all that stuff means, but previously he also worked at Atlassian, Shopify, Campaign Monitor, and I think he's got a really interesting story to tell. So really interested to dive into everything about your life, your career, and everything in between. Yeah, and you've got, you've got some nice tattoos as well, Ross. I love them. Um, so Ross, we'd love to start off our podcast by humanizing our guests a little bit. Cool. So um, that was a very um, impressive introduction. There's a lot of brand names there that everyone would have heard of. But outside of Kind and outside of your kind of experience in technology companies, who are you at your core? Oh, that's a that's a really big question. I guess uh, I mean, I'm a dad to have two sons, eleven and nine. Um, I have a wife you know, who who really is the the support structure that keeps everything going. And you know, without without her, the family would kind of collapse. Um, and then you know, I guess you know, outside of that, outside of the family, really, I've I've been. I feel like I've kind of the big thing that I've been driving towards for most of my life is this kind of founder journey and, and trying to create a world where more people can become founders. So I think that's just sort of in, ingrained and I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll dig a little bit more into how that backstory kind of kind of happened. But for me, you know, I really mean, I feel like this journey and, and you know, kind as a business is the culmination of years and years of, of this process and working towards um, this company and, and towards solving this really important problem that exists in the world. Yeah, so you've started a company and you've worked for another a number of big brand names. Did you know when you were younger that you were going to be a founder? Were there any sort of inklings of influence, motivation, or just events you experienced that told you that's going to be me? So, so I guess I mean to go all the way back. I left high school, and my dad said, you know, let's start a thing. And so we started, you know, we started a company trying to build a few tech companies. This was late nineties in South Africa. Um, you know, there was no such thing as venture capital. We had to bootstrap the whole thing. We built a few things. Technology had not caught up to what we were trying to build. You know, we tried building like an early Shopify and an early ticketing system and 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 really found that you know the market wasn't there, the funding wasn't there. Um, but holy shit, learned a hell of a lot about you know how to how to build things, how to build companies, how to start things. And and I guess, you know, the the beginnings of that go even further back. My dad was a was a founder. He you know tried building companies throughout my childhood. So for me, it was always kind of a very big part of our family culture. Um, was this thinking about entrepreneurship and how to how to grow things and how to build things and you know trying to trying to make that big big. You know, how do you, how do you make an impact in the world? How do you make a ding in the universe? 
Um, so it's yeah. And just digging a bit further to impact, so that's something we love talking about. But was there anything that your parents instilled in you that made you want to kind of bring people on this founder journey and really create something in the world? Like obviously you're creative by background, but what, where does this desire to have a positive impact in the world come from? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, I guess it's just always been there. You know, <laughs> every single one of my siblings um, has also tried to start things. I think it's just something that we, as a family, has, has been instilled in. I don't actually know where it comes from or why. You know, what the origins of those are. Um, you know, I, I speak to a lot of founders who are just like, um, you know, I just want to start a company. And to me, it's never been about starting you know, a company. To me, it's always about being about you know, how can we. I kind of make a difference in the world and I think really you know there was this I was very fortunate to be at Atlassian and to be at Shopify and so um, this this whole journey for me is, is has never been about you know, how can I make as much money as possible this this journey especially this journey that I'm on right now is you know, how can I make the biggest impact in the world how can I make something that's generational that's going to last long after I'm gone and kind is, is kind of that company that, that attempt to create something that, that I believe is going to be far, far bigger than hopefully I am. Mm. Um, and you know, that's, what it, that's what excites me you know, every single day. I've, I've got a damn job in the world. Um, so you know, I, I love coming to work every day because the thing I get to do um, is hopefully make an impact in you know, potentially millions of lives. You know, all the people who touch our software and use our software and all the people who they build products for, these are the people that we get to you know, make an impact with. And, you know, I often talk about you know, in, um, in the 80s, Apple did that, that commercial, the 9841, um, and they spoke about you know, um, you know, the, the crazy ones, the people who, who, um, who changed the world, right? And, and I kind of look at that and they go, they sell computers. Like, that's not changing the world. Like, that's just allowing people, you know, they're great computers, but, but you know, at the end of the day, that's what they do. Kind of think it's like, actually changing the world in a way we're enabling these people who have you know insane giant enormous ideas that just didn't have that opportunity to get started we are hopefully enabling as many of those as possible to create that big big impact in the world and so if we can you know if we can create one person who's a founder in the world we can help one person to succeed to me that's that's the biggest thing we can do and you know, when I talk to the team, I often talk about, you know, the, you know, there's only two things that I want you to leave this company for. One is I want you to retire out of this company because you never want to leave it. And the second thing is I want you to leave to go and start your own startup and hopefully build that on top of Kind. Because, you know, if we can create, you know, our entire team leaving the company to go and start their own startups, to me, that's like Kind is actually succeeding as a company. Yeah, wow, that's very amazing and inspiring. And I can see the passion seeping out of you. Um, why do you command such respect for entrepreneurs versus people that might just, for example, work a typical day job or following a sort of more normal nine to five routine? Like, how, how do you see the relationship between startups and impact in the world? I think it's a, I think the thing that startups do, or that founders do, is they advance the future of humanity, right? So. If you look at most people just doing a job, all they're doing is helping to execute on strategies that founders have put into place. The thing that founders do is they bring about the future. If you know, if you look at like Elon Musk is a really good example. You know, building a company that didn't set out to build electric cars, but a company that, that set out to advance the adoption of electric cars. And that's like there's a there's a big distinction there. My respect is to him for wanting to advance the advent of electric cars, not for building the electric car. And I think that that's what that's the hallmark of a, of a great founder is they find a problem in the world 
and they do everything that they can to go and solve that problem. And that's, you know, there's, there's not many people, first of all, who are willing to do that or who have the guts to do that. You know, that's the, the most courageous and brave thing you can do. And you, you guys are in that category, right? You're, you're founders of the Session and Adam show, right? You are building something that hopefully will have an impact in the world. And you know, I look at you know, I look at anybody who has the, the guts and the determination to start something. And this, you know, this is why you know one of the things we speak about in kind is um, I don't ever want to have a kitchen in an office that we have because I want the whole team to go out the doors and spend money in the businesses around us because that's how we create that world with more founders, right? And so you know, we think about everything that we can do to enable those people to make that impact in the world because your know, founders are our future they're the ones who are going to advance humanity they're the ones who are going to make the big change in the world. i hope no one in um, your company is paying darling host rent then so going back into your background a little bit so obviously you spent a lot of your career working in design mm. um you didn't go into sort of business operations you were just sort of a standard computer scientist yeah. why design for you what sort of impact has design had on you and why did you choose that i think i think that you know des- design is a few things um one is you know the, the, the heart of design is it's not so much about aesthetics like yeah, we think you know, when we think about design we really tend to think about pixels and creating beautiful things and yes that's a part of it but really design is a way of thinking and a way of attacking problems and and you you see design thinking in a lot of the you know the greatest you know people we think of as entrepreneurs in the world you see you know melanie perkins and mike and scott um from atlassian and and steve jobs to me when i look at those people i don't you know i think of entrepreneur first but yes i also think of um designer because what they're doing is they're solving a problem in the world and they they're doing that in a way that's going to create something that will make a real big impact you know, if you think about what most people think associated with design is is really art art is asking questions is making beautiful things design is answering questions is solving problems and and you know and so when we think about design products as we think about the beauty of the product it's important but we also think about you know the underlying how does it make a change in the world how does it impact people's lives how does it make them do better and how does it make them feel and so design has always been something that's very close to me i started off as a designer um, you know, I, I loved art in high school, and that kind of progressed into into design, and then it progressed into an understanding that there was more to design than just aesthetics. There was also, you know, the problems that it solves and building great products around that. And, and for me, it was this natural progression into design leadership at places like you know, Atlassian and, and Shopify, where I could amplify the reach that I could make through design. But I really believe that if you don't have design at the heart of any product, you're not going to build a great product. You, know, you just have to look at companies like Apple and Airbnb, which have designers at their heart, and you can see the, the step change difference that they make in the products that they build. And so bringing design into, you know, into Kind was such an important part of it. And so you know, my two co-founders are very, very passionate about design as well. We we're building out a design team already, and we've really tried to you know, bring design in. And I think you can see that in, you know, in the branding, in the website, in the way that we talk about things. There's design, there's there's experiential thinking you know what is how does this make you feel as a company and it's really really important to me you know the thing that i really sets us apart from the competitors you know the thing you know you've heard about us it's i think it comes down a lot to you know the brand that we're creating in the world we're not you know we don't just look and feel like you know your grandmother's SaaS company which is what you tend to see out there if you look at most of the people who play in our space they feel like boring traditional software companies 
And you know, we always said that's not what we wanted to be at all. We wanted to be a company that felt like you could relate to it, you could understand it. And, and that's why we see a lot of people you know, wanting to come and use our product who have never had anything to do with tech before, but they have really great ideas. Um, and so this is the company we want to build, one that enables anyone with an idea to build their product. And I think that comes down to you know, design and brand and how we talk about ourselves and, and the feeling that we instill into people that makes for a great product, a great product experience and a great company ultimately. And you know, we instill that also into the way we are as a company as well. You know, we brought in uh, people and employee experience really, really early um, to make sure that the experience of being a part of our company uh, was was a wonderful place to be, a wonderful place to work. I think that's something that companies like Atlassian and Shopify do really well, but they do it kind of subconsciously. And we set out to more deliberately and intentionally design that experience to the point where you know, we effectively tore up the employment contracts that we had with people and spent months and months revisiting those um, to make sure that you know the experience of joining you, know, you had go through this amazing, this, uh, amazing uh, interview process um, and then the first thing you do when you kind of say, hey, I want to join the company, I'm here, I'm committing, is we put this horrible technical you know, jargon contract in front of you and say, sign that. And to me, that's like, we just fucked the whole experience. You know, we need to make sure that we have a really great experience um, at every stage of the employee experience, at every stage of the product experience, at every stage of you know, the company experience. And that's how we make something that is just better than anything anyone has seen before. I love that way of thinking. I'm imagining your employment cult, um, contract is like built on Canva. Like that's what, <laughs> that's what I'm saying in my head. Um, but I love that reframing of design because I work with a lot of strategic designers in my role at the moment. And I think a lot more people are actually designers without realizing that, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, most startup CEOs are designers, right? We yeah. think about how people interact with products. Even when you're designing um, an experience or even with our podcast and stuff, design is at the forefront of everything. And I think studying design thinking and actually applying those principles can be one of the most powerful things someone does in their life um because it, yeah it's not just art and moving on to kind now um love to talk about the origins of kind how you kind of uh, came up with the problem and what you're actually trying to build cool so uh, you know as i said I, I left high school started something so for me already i've been really thinking about this problem of what it means to be a founder and how, how you go about starting something. And back then, there was no authentication systems. Uh, you had to build all that yourself. There was no billing system. We had to go out and find a bank that even understood the concept of, of e-commerce and try and get them to work with us so that we could like literally put payments through from our website. Like, that infrastructure didn't exist. So like what you think of today as like retail, that shit didn't exist. There was no Shopify back then. There was like really, really basic, basic merchant systems. Um, and so, you know, back then it was like, this this just can't be what it's about. But, you know, we were just not ready to solve that problem. And so I spent a bunch of years, you know, thinking about that problem um, and then decided it was time to get a real job. So when I did a bunch of, you know, other, other jobs and was very fortunate to then end up in Atlassian. And Atlassian, you know, I had a few learnings. One was, you know, what it means to lead and grow big teams. So I joined um, that employee 280. There were four designers in the company. And we grew that design team up into, a, you know, a bit of a juggernaut. And I left a month before the IPO, which feels like really bad timing. But, um, but it, you know, we, we grew that company and instilled design into the heart of it. Um, but also, you know, there was just a lot of learnings about 
what it means to be a developer, what it means to, to, you know, to build products, because you know, that's at the heart of what Atlassian does. Um, and so you know, I got those dual learnings of you know, leading people, growing teams, but also understanding what tech is about, understanding how developers work. And then I moved on to Campaign Monitor, um, where you know, we, we solved the problem of you know, how people um, communicate to their audience, how they market themselves as early stage founders, because a lot of their audience is that. Um, and so it was you know, that entrenched understanding of how to do marketing and intent. And then moving on to Shopify, um, you know, massive, massive team, um, this company at scale, uh, solving, you know, solving one of the biggest problems you know, in, in the world today. Um, but at the heart of it is, is solving the problem for early stage founders. You know, they think about retailers, but really they're working with early stage founders. And, and so as I was kind of coming out of that, I realized you know, that there are these universal problems that exist and one of them just wasn't getting solved. And I, I, I saw, you know, I saw even working at Atlassian and inside of Shopify, each of those companies has teams of hundreds of people that are trying to solve this infrastructure problem, that are trying to solve um, the problem that, that infrastructure doesn't really exist for tech. And you know, a lot of it was built in by the founders of those companies. A lot of it is hard coded in. And you have these teams who are literally ripping the guts out of code in order to, you know, to update the way billing and things like that work. And so when I started to look at the market, I realized that every single founder and every company basically on the planet is solving the same set of problems. You know, authentication and user management, you know, the, the ability for people to log in and out of your system and the ability to manage those people um, is, you know, every single startup is building that over and over again. Um, every one of them is building feature flagging, which is how engineers control who sees what. And then on top of that, every one of them is going and building billing, the ability to actually charge money for your product. And so you see over and over again, these early stage companies who really haven't got a lot of you know, investment, haven't got a lot of money and haven't got a lot of time, spending their time building what is uh, infrastructure, what is a commodity, instead of building their product, the thing that actually brings value. And so there's just this total waste of time. And then when you translate that up and see that every company, even Atlassian and Shopify scale companies are doing it, you start to realize there's a universal problem here. You know, there's, there's that universal problem um, of communication on the internet, which you know, Facebook and Meta and, and Slack and companies like that have solved. We now know largely how to communicate on the internet. There's a universal problem of how you sell things on the internet, which is the retail problem. And, and you know, Amazon and Shopify solve that problem. But when it comes to like the infrastructure that underpins software companies, there's bits and pieces of, of it that have been built, but largely that universal problem isn't a solved one. Like all of these companies are wasting so much time on it. And it, it translates to you know the, the difference between a, between a company succeeding and failing. And you know, we as a company just believe that that's not something that should be happening anymore. That the world should have moved on. The infrastructure should be there. You should be able to start building your product straight away instead of building infrastructure. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I think when you see a lot of the biggest companies of our age, they've been companies that have enabled other companies through infrastructure. You think about Stripe, yeah. Shopify, Twilio, these often hundreds of billions of dollars of market cap because they're helping other people make businesses easier. Yeah. So what's your actual vision for the product of kind? So if I'm a founder, I want to start a company, maybe it's a SaaS company, I don't have a deep technical background. How does kind help that founder? What does that experience sort of look like that you're envisioning? So kind kind of has multiple stages as a company. And the early stage that we're in right now is 
really solving the problem for technical founders, trying to find a way to help technical founders to get over those early hurdles. So, you know, primarily we think about, you know, there's that whole world of no code going on right now. We don't think that no code is the way, we, well, I mean, no code is a very useful tool. It's very good for building MVPs. It's very good for internal tooling within established companies. What we don't think it is, is a great way to build a tech company, to build a sustainable long-term company that can scale. Um, what we believe is the right answer is actually build what matters, code what matters, right? And so that's what, what kind strives to solve is, you know, we work primarily with technical founding teams um, to enable them to accelerate the building of their product and to, to give them, you know, that unfair advantage, which is, you know, fundamentally millions of dollars worth of infrastructure um, to, to, to kind of, um, to arm the rebels, if you like, to give them that ability to do what teams couldn't have done before. That's our short-term plan. And then if we think about the longer-term plan, you know, we talk, that's you know, our mission, if you like. Our mission right now is to reinvent the way that software companies get started. And then we have another layer that sits above, which is our purpose as a company. And our purpose as a company is a really exciting and big one, um, which is to create a world with more founders. And so when you think about what a world with more founders looks like, that's really the, the problem, the meaty one that we're trying to solve in the long run is how do we help more people who just have really great ideas to be able to go and change the world. And so we're doing a lot of things like partner programs where we have expert partners who we work with, who we're gonna align with people who just have great ideas, who don't have technical abilities, to help them to build their products much easier. And you know, in time, we hope to have more and more and more in the platform that we can ultimately alleviate a lot of the pains and making just those barriers to entry much, much lower. But you know, we take it a step at a time. Right now, we focus on most of our attention on early stage technical founding teams. I feel like I've got quite a few questions out of that, but my first question was why no to no code? I feel like a lot of people think that's the future. It's mm -hmm. going to be easier to start businesses for non-technical people. Why is your thesis that that's not going to be sustainable for the largest businesses? So it is absolutely a great way to build a relatively simplistic product. But, and, and in time, I think we're going to see a bit of a, we're going to see an evolution of those tools and they're going to get better and better and better and progress. And I think there'll probably be a convergence of companies like ours and theirs. Um, but the reality right now is that you see a lot of those tools not able to scale. So if you think about what you're trying to do when you're building um, a SaaS company, you're actually trying to build, you know, especially in those early days, what you're trying to build is um, not so much the product, but the company to deliver that product. So like, you need to take a bit of a step back and understand what a, what a company is. So I think that's it's kind of important to understand what companies are. And companies are groups of people aligned on a vision and a purpose and a mission, right? Uh, a company doesn't exist, it's just a piece of paper that goes in the, in, the, in the government office, right? A company is a group of people who work together. They share a common culture, they share a vision of the world, they see a problem that they want to go and solve. And so um, when, you, when you think about what a company is and you think about what investors are investing in, um, investors are not investing in the product especially at the early stages, nearly as much as they are investing in the people and the vision um, and the, the ability for them to grow a team of like-minded human beings, right? And I think, you know, that's a lot of what people saw in kind is you know, this ability for us to um, grow a team. You know, we're seven months in, we're 28 people, so we've managed to grow fairly exponentially. Um, they've seen this real you know, impact that the team can have. And that's really what I believe the best founding teams are, is not so much about you know, being able to create that MVP, but it's about being able to create that team. And so when you think about what a team is, a team is a long-term investment um, in how about how you go about changing the world, right? Um, if you think about what any you know, great startup is, is an attempt 
to change the world, to make the biggest impact that you possibly can. And so if you want to achieve that, you need to bring the right people together. And if you want to bring the right people together around a SaaS problem, part of that is engineers, right? You need to have engineers who are going to go and build that problem. Um, and in order to have engineers, you need to be able to attract engineers. Um, and it's going to be really, really hard to attract engineers when the foundations of your product, the thing that you sell, are not built by engineers. Um, they're you know, built in an external piece of software. Um, and what we also find is we see a lot of scaling problems. So you know, as those companies scale built on low-code, low no-code tools, they start to inevitably run into scaling problems. And so what you want to do is you want to try and build companies that are built around building scalable, sustainable products. And so we actually believe that a lot of people should start on low-code tools, like Flow is an excellent tool, Bubble is an excellent tool, but they should be using those for the right application, which is to build their, their MVPs, to build their very early stage products. But then as soon as they have the opportunity, and if they have a, fan, a technical founding team, they should be not building that way. Um, but as soon as they see that opportunity, they should be switching across to more technical tools. They should be switching across to building things the right way that will allow them to grow and retain the talent and the team. Um, and that's where Kind really comes in. We, we want to reduce that barrier of code that needs to be, be built. But we believe very, very heavily in technical founding teams and believe that they are the way that you change the world because they're the ones that can scale and grow and really have the biggest impact. Uh, Ross, something that I'm extremely curious about is that we're sitting here and your passion is oozing through. Yeah. Like now I want to go start a company and get kind to help me accelerate the process. <coughs> but during your career um, at Atlassian and Shopify and Campaign Monitor, what kept you fulfilled? Because you're clearly someone that's very purpose-driven and um, those are all amazing companies. But what kept you fulfilled all that time before you started Kind? I think that I think there's a few really interesting parts of that. Um, the one is you know, every one of those companies, in particular Atlassian and Shopify, are solving the some of the biggest problems that exist on the face of the planet. And so when you get to solve that, you know, people sometimes you know you would you would speak to people, especially at Shopify, we're having a bit of a crisis of faith. You know, I think within every tech company, you find people who who are you know struggling with like, why am I doing this? Like, am I, you know, am I, am I here for the right reasons? I'm struggling to like find the belief inside of me. And when you talk to somebody about Shopify, it's like are you shitting me? You're literally enabling people who have no opportunity. They may be, you know, they may have lost their jobs. They may have, um, you know, just been born with no opportunity. They may just not have the finances. You're giving them millions of dollars of retail infrastructure and enabling them to go and start businesses. And this is how, like, people pick themselves out, up, you know, by the, their own bootstrings. Um, and, and go and, and create businesses and create, you know, and you start to see founders in, in Shopify's stable who have, you know, literally millions of dollars of revenue and billions of dollars of revenue. I think they have recently hit their first billion dollar, you know, retail business. And, and that is one of the greatest forces for good in the universe. And, you know, we also, you know, also think about Shopify is a really interesting company because it's kind of, you know, if you think about Amazon. Amazon really is not a force for good in the universe, right? Amazon doesn't particularly give a shit about people, doesn't give a shit about the planet. Um, it's really a, um, you know, it talks about being customer driven, um, but it does that to the exclusion of all the people who actually sell the product. So it's a very one-sided agreement where the people who make the money out of it is Amazon um, and the, the people who benefit is their end customers, but the people who really get disadvantaged are the people who make and produce those products. And, Shopify is, is the antithesis to that. It is literally the antidote to that problem where it's enabling merchants, it's enabling people who build products, who make things, 
to have a, to have their own brand, to have their own um, impact on the world, to really make a difference and to create a company um, of their own. And that's and then still enable those customers to get you know really great pricing and things like that. And that's a super powerful force. Um, so and you know and Atlassian is the same. It builds products that enables engineering teams around the world. Um, you know, when I was there, I think their purposes, their mission has changed, but it used to be advanced humanity to the power of software. That's a pretty freaking big deal. You know, when when you think about you know the the you know the 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 NASA rocket ships landing on the moon are powered by software that was written because you know Atlassian's products existed. So there's just this huge opportunity in those companies to have impact through the products that you build. Um, but then you know the second part is. You get to learn from some of the greatest founders in the world. You know, if I if I think back to like Mike and Scott um, and Toby, these are like master classes in how to build great generational companies, how to build things that are going to be here in a hundred years time. And really, uh, you know, a lot of that are things that we've taken into into kind and are baked into the DNA of our company. Is how do you build something that's going to last? How do you build something that you know in a hundred years time will still be here? You know, I spoke about you know. How, how teams are just a collection of people working together, but then how do you scale that up? How do you do that so that you, you know, in a hundred years time, the company will still exist? Because if you think about Kind, or if you think about Atlassian, you think about Shopify, in five, 10, 20 years time, who knows how long it's gonna be, the product that they build are gonna be irrelevant. And so what you gotta do is you gotta build a company, a group of people that understands how to look for the future, how to identify problems, and how to build things that are gonna be future forward. Um, and you need to bring those people together and get them to build something. And what you're building is team and what you're building is culture. You're not building products. Products are the byproduct of amazing teams. And so, you know, at Atlassian and Shopify, we built teams, we built collections of people. And this is why, you know, I was so passionate about being a leader in those companies, because that's where the interesting thing is. You know, the, the people who do the work are building the product, but what they don't realize is happening is they're actually building something more generational. They're building a company. And companies are really powerful, powerful forces. And this is why, you know, Atlassian's stock ticket is team. Um, they think a lot about team because team is really the heart of, you know, of how you make change in the world. I, I love that frame about team and culture before product and how that's the foundation for everything. I think that's why we've heard such good enthusiastic um, comments about it and, yeah. and the onboarding. And really want to dig into the sort of lessons soon about you building Kind and what you've learned from it. But before that, from what I've gauged is that you've got this massive ambition with Kind. You want to solve a spectrum of different issues for software companies that are starting their own company. A lot of the companies that we see that sort of act as the infrastructure rails for other companies, they feel somewhat niche. They might be focused on payments, integrating vendors with merchants or voice communication. Seems like you want to do a lot of different things. So this might sound a little bit pointed, but sort of what gives you the right to focus on such a large problem? Because we don't think that the problem is an authentication or feature flagging or building. We see the problem as being the interconnectedness of those things, right? That's where the magic happens. When you bring all those forces together and you integrate them really, really well, um, that's where you create something that is kind of special. Um, you know, we, we plan on building a marketplace and in that marketplace in time, or zero will sit and launch darkly will sit. These are companies that people say, aren't they your competitors? And I really hope that one day they will be our partners. Um, the thing that we're interested in is how do you bring all those tools together so that you create a really, really powerful back office and infrastructure for companies to work off of. The interesting thing is not building best of read authentication, although we hope to do that in time, um, you know, or best of read billing. 
Um, these are the things you know, we try to do, but the thing that we're really interested and passionate about is how you build a product that helps companies to do better, how you enable everybody in the team to be powered by this thing, to superpower the whole team, not just to empower engineers to build great code. Now, the magic happens when product managers can go and create new feature plans and integrate everything together. And instead of you know, product managers, typically today, if you want to change a feature plan, Today in a product, it's really, really hard. You know, if you look at companies like Atlassian and Shopify, but also early stage founders, what typically happens is they write code into the product that manages the, the flow of feature plans, right? And so that means if you want to create a new enterprise plan or a new pro plan or whatever it happens to be, you actually have to go into code and start ripping things out. And so it gets really, really hard and expensive. And we want to see a world where all of that stuff can be controlled by kind so that you're actually managing the business. And so you know, it enables and empowers people across the business, not just engineers. Uh, it stops engineers having to be that, that robot, which is work that they really hate to do anyway, um, and enables them you know, to, to power the business. Kind. And so that's, I think, where we, we said a little bit differently. On the surface, it looks like you're trying to compete with all of these juggernaut products. And actually, our interest is, yes, to build those products, but also to build the infrastructure. That's where we think the magic is. That's what the, the change that we can make in the world. I'm really excited for the product launch now. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Ross, so you've touched on culture a little bit already, but as Adam has mentioned before, we're fascinated by Kind's culture. And for a bit of context, we've been studying um, Levels a lot. It's a company over in the US, and they also have a remote-first culture. Mm. And so I'd love to talk through the decision-making behind the remote-first culture, and also how else do you, what else do you think about with culture and hiring? Because you've obviously thought about this stuff a lot. We didn't, I don't think we deliberately set out to have a remote first culture. In fact, we've, from day one, we said we would have the right culture for the right time. Okay. And so we've always said, you can work from home, you can work from where we work. If we have an office, you can work from that office, right? And you get to make that decision every single day because um, we really need to spend our time learning and understanding what our people need. Um, it's not about what Ross thinks is the right thing about working from home. It doesn't matter. That, that's irrelevant. It's what our people need. Um, if we find that more and more people need to go into offices, we'll create office spaces for them. But I don't think an office for us would ever be what you typically think of as an office, right? I don't think it's super useful for people to go into a place and commute for hours a day to go and sit and write code, right? If you're going to be sitting and writing code all day, stay at home. That's There's no benefit to you doing that. The benefit of an office or a you know, a place of work um, is somewhere for people to come together and spend time together and share ideas um, and meld on things. And that's how you kind of create that creative ferment, right? There's people working together, people thinking together, sharing ideas. Um, and so I don't anticipate we're ever going to, you know, even if we, we go down a route of having office space, I don't think it's ever going to be a world where we have banks and banks of desks, right? I think we're going to have a world where we have you know, a lot of creative spaces for people to, to learn and spend time together. Um, because to me, that's really what an office is about. An office is a creative environment. It's the hub of, of the company. And so, you know, we, we do a lot to kind of foster the thinking in people. Um, but, you know, we, we haven't locked ourselves into a remote or not. I don't think it's a question of remote or not in this world anymore. And, you know, I think it's in that, you know, people are going to be working remote and some people are going to be working in, in office spaces. And we just need to make sure that we're creating those environments for them to succeed 
um, to feel part of something, to feel connected with the team, and creating those opportunities for connection. And you know, make sure we're bringing the team together on a regular basis as well um, to kind of force that interconnectedness because it's so hard to get disconnected from each other. Um, and so we have to make sure that we're bringing people together and, and, and fostering that for them. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, I feel like you can really see your design background seeping into everything you do. Probably. I think the thing that I'm noticing is that you're a lot more thoughtful than other entrepreneurs that I'll see. In the fact that you think about every part of the experience, not just for customers, but also for your employees. And so you're, you're just thinking more about their sort of situation, the benefits they're accruing from onboarding or whatever. And that, that sort of leads me to ask about hiring and onboarding. Mm. So what are you doing at the moment to attract really great talent? Because for what you need to do, you've obviously got to attract fantastic uh, uh, engineers, the best product managers, the best people in operations eventually. What are you doing to attract that great talent? It's actually an interesting one that we've, we've discovered. You know, people talk about this great resignation and you know, the struggle to find great talent. And we actually haven't, really felt that um, as we've been going because what we've found I think is that when you build something that you know people can understand that it's a great culture and it's going to be a great place to work they understand the problem and they see that the big difference that we're making in the world it's not a particularly difficult sell you know I think people people are not leaving companies um, because they they're looking for another company to go work from they're leaving companies because those companies suck to work for, right? They're leaving companies so they can go to somewhere where they feel that they can make an impact, where the company is going to be a place where they can make, you know, have that impact, but also be a part of something that's bigger and something that's trying to change the world. And so, you know, I think that the, the reason we haven't hugely struggled with hiring, you know, we've grown, um, you know, crazy, crazy fast is, is because people see that and they see the passion and the excitement about the problem that we're trying to solve. And, but I think also we did some, I'd say, quite smart things. Um, if, if you look at most companies that get started, what they typically do um, is they will, they will go and hire people that typically look like themselves. So you kind of get this founder and they're going off and hiring people who look and feel a little bit like themselves and they kind of build that up and they hope to hell that those people actually turn out to be great cultural um, fit for the company and you know and it's, you typically hear this word cultural fit and it's really a description of are they like me and do I want to have a, do, do I want to have a beer with them um, and that's problematic and then and, and so what you're what you're doing then is you're actually leaving your culture up to chance a little bit and then at some point about a year and a half into the company typically you find um, they will they will look at the company and go there's a handful of people here who feel like they really represent our culture. Let's go speak to them. Let's understand what, what it is that they're doing and how they think about things. And, and so they spend time with those people and they codify the learnings that they have from them and typically they turn those into values, right? Um, and it works and you see a lot of companies, you know, last year was the same, Short Fire was the same, Dovetail's the same, where they, you know, they build that team out um, and, and they end up in a place where they have a set of values driven by the people that they have in the company. And I think that's a great way to do things. The trouble is that it's really leaving your culture up to chance. You're literally saying like, we're going to roll the dice and, and hope that we hire the right people. And if we do, we'll be able to you know, define our culture. And, and to, to me, culture is something that you have to kind of, this is my design background again, you have to deliberately craft. Um, and so what we do with Kind is we set, up, we, we set up our values from day one. So we had this defined set of values that were aspirational, that really defined what is the company that we want to create, um, what, is, you know, what, are we, 
what do we believe makes great people who we want to attract to come and join this company? And so, you know, we have we have values like human kindness, gentle manners, um, which are about you know the way we behave with each other, the way we you know the, the way we interact as a as a team. We have um, values like um, create a bigger pie, which is about not trying to you know not trying to increase the slice of pie that you have, but trying to increase the size of the collective pie so that each of our slices gets bigger. We have stay foolish, which is about you know staying rebellious, um, you know being a non-conformist, challenging the status quo um, for the good of our customers. You know, we have these values that really say, as a company, this is how we are determined to behave. And so when we hire people, we hire every single person on values that we literally run them through a series of questions to figure out, you know, do we feel that they align to our values? And I think that's really made a big difference in allowing us to, to hire a team that is really, really heavily aligned, um, that is culturally in the right area. Um, and and I've literally never worked with a bunch of more awesome human beings than, than the team that we have right now. So it's really, I feel like it's working. And it, it comes down to that like deliberate crafting of culture. Um, that is something that we've been very, very you know, particular about doing. And that then ladders up into you know, the company that we build and the brand that we build and, and the, ultimately the product that we build as well. All of those things become amazing because we're hiring people who we know are going to you know, help us to build that generational culture. I feel like every, I think deliberate is a great way to describe what you're doing. It seems like yeah. you've thought about so many different things. And I'd actually love to go inside your head and see how you see the world because it's very fascinating. And I think, Ross, a lot of our audience will be very curious about how Kind went around raising its seed round. Yeah. Because it's probably one of the biggest seed rounds over the last decade. And obviously, you had Blackbird leading the round. How did you think about your venture partners, first of all? And kind of how did that process start and originate? So, so Kind really needed three things out of venture partners. You know, obviously money is nice, but money is money's easy to get, right? The things we really wanted from our venture partners was um, people that we believed could come along on this journey with us and would help to make us better because they were on that journey. And Nick Crocker was an obvious fit, and, and Victoria from Felicis was another obvious fit. Um, you know, having people that we felt would be long-term partners and stalwarts and and people that we wanted to you know they're going to be part of our family for a very long time we want to make sure that we want to work with them and then the third thing we really looked for was um their ability to connect us to the community and so blackbird just became this obvious choice where they have the giants program and the stop program where they work with founders across australia and and so when we were looking at investors we really said who's the investor that we believe is the most connected to the startup ecosystem, the most connected to founders, because those founders can become our customers, but also just having that connection to them helps us to have that deeper understanding. And having a venture, a venture found, a funding, venture fund, that helps us to, um, to be more connected and that understands the mindset of founders <coughs> is a really, really powerful you know, force. Also, you know, people like Nick Crocker have been operators in their past lives, so they really understand what it's like to build a company. They're not just coming at it from a financial background, they're coming at it from a product background. So the input that he gives us is really, really valuable. And so, you know, when we when we started that search, Blackbird was always our number one. And and so, you know, we were very fortunate in, in that, you know, I think we have a, a few advantages that most people do not have when you come to raise venture capital. And so we're a little bit artificial. I talked to a lot of early stage founders you know, coming through the Giants program who are like, how did you do that? And, and well, the answer is kind of, you know, I spent five years at Atlassian growing the team. 
I spent five years at Shopify growing the team. I spent five, three years at, at Campaign Monitor growing the team. These are companies that have, you know, that that have demonstrated what it means to build a generational company, to build something that's you know makes a big impact in the world. And and when you you know when you have that background and and then those venture capitalists can go and speak to Mike and Scott and to Toby and say, hey, you know, you know, what do you think of this person? And they say, you know, you know, and, and they give a glowing recommendation on it, it makes it a hell of a lot easier. So we had a little bit of an unfair advantage in that. But you know, I think that we're building the right team, we're building this amazing founding group. Um, has then attracted great talent. So, you know, unfortunately, I think we're demonstrating that ability not only to attract, you know, the funding, but also to to take that and deploy it really, really thoughtfully um, into building a great team, a great product, um, and hopefully a great future and a great brand. Yeah, it's incredible raising that much pre-product. And I heard from a little birdie that one of the investment meetings, a decision was made quite quickly. And you sort of pointed to it before about coming from these great backgrounds and big companies. What do you think was the number one thing that convinced your investors to give you this money pre-product? Is it that they they got the references, they heard about who you are, they saw an ability to attract talent, they saw this big idea with a big sort of market size? What do you think was the biggest thing? I think it was probably all of those things plus the way we tell a story. I think telling your story, you know, and this is one of the greatest designer skills, is, is taking things that, you know, people can people see every day and can think about and turning them into something that is compelling um, that shapes the future that points to a, a new future um, and I think it was probably that like remolding of a you know authentication exists feature flagging exists it's bringing those things together and creating a new future and painting the picture of that future I think that was really probably the defining moment and yes as you said we uh, we had I think in total about three hours of conversations with Blackbird before we had our term sheet. Um, and so, you know, it was a, a very, very accelerated thing that normally takes about seven weeks to, to go through um, because I think they could just understand what it was that we were building. They could see the future that we had outlined ahead of us. And I think that, you know, it comes down to, you know, that design and the team um, and the storytelling. I think it's all of those things when you combine them together. That's what makes kind of, kind of you know, one plus one equals three. Um, you know, it's it's that that kismet that exists where like it's all the right forces coming into play that are creating something that just wants to exist. And I think Kind itself has been a very interesting um, journey where it's really the company has fought to exist. Um, you know, whatever we wanted to do, this company wants to exist because it is something that needs to exist in the world. On that point of storytelling, who do you think's taught you the most about it? That's an interesting one. I'd say it's working with phenomenal founders is probably the biggest one. Um, when you, yes, Mike is Mike Cannon Brooks, um, the founder of Atlassian, is a really good example of of somebody who who understands the details, the things that matter, who knows how to you know to elevate things to another level. I'd say Scott is in that same category where they can look at a problem that most people are seeing and figure out a way to elevate it, to think about it bigger. And I think it's really, you know, working with founders like that, Toby's in the exact same category. And then, you know, the people that they employ beneath them um, carry on that story, carry on that you know, creation of something bigger. Because, you know, if you think about, you know, a company is just a collection of people, really it's, it's the common narrative that exists between us that 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 helps us to create the thing right the common narrative the story we tell ourselves about what the world should become 
um, you know, every year the the, the, the Atlassian leadership team gets together and, and does like a paint the future exercise. And that exercise is really useful in trying to understand what it is that you, know, you want to be that's bigger. We actually had our leadership offside uh, yesterday uh, where we did the exact same exercise where we, we sat down and we went, what is the future that we want to create? Because it's, it's kind of interesting, this is, um, this, is uh, this approach that uh, a company called Second Road, they're a, they're a um, they're a consultancy in, in Sydney. I think they've actually been bought recently by Accenture, one of the other big firms. But they have this process called the ACDBE. Um, and what that process is, is um, they, they call it, it's a, a structure for strategic conversation, right? And so they start off with A. A is where are we today, right? Because you can't go and solve any problem unless you understand the current environment, the current situation. And so you spend a lot of time trying to understand what is happening in our operating environment? What is happening in the world that we need to respond to? What's the change that we want to make? And fundamentally, this is the, the backbone, right, to any design process, the, the D-School double diamond is fundamentally the same thing. So when you, when you understand what the situation is, then you can go and you can look, and this is where the B space comes into the ACDB, right? You can, you can create a future that is a response to the A space, right? So the B space is the, is the reaction to that. It's a, trying to paint a picture of a future that could exist, um, that is possible, but not probable. So you're not trying to create flying cars and hoverboards. You're trying to create something that you can create that is physically possible, but wasn't gonna happen on its own. It's not probably gonna happen. And so you, you need to understand where you are today in order to be able to paint that picture for the future. Um, and once you understand that picture of the future, that's when you can really say, okay, how do we get there? What are the steps that we take? And so you start to look at unpacking that problem and trying to piece together a vision for the future for you know how you would actually create that thing. Um, and then you translate that into things that we're going to go and do right now. And so you know, we do the same kind of thing with our teams. And really, I think the, the greatest founders, the greatest entrepreneurs do this, this process naturally. They don't often realize they're going through it, but they're really looking at, you know, what are we reacting to? How are we going to create a future? What would that future look like? Um, and then you know, how do we actually go and execute on that? Um, and so you know, I think that that is you know, how great products, great, great companies are built is on those fundamentals. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think that's very similar to consulting. So me and Adam yeah. currently both work in consulting. It's the current state analysis and then it's the future state. Exactly, yeah. uh, so Ross, we've talked a lot about kind and I think we'd love to hear more about you. So obviously you've stepped into this role of being a founder and it's probably caused a lot of changes in your life. Absolutely. How's that going? And how do you recharge and balance being a founder? Because there's probably a lot of weight on your shoulders. There's a lot of hype. Like we talked about raising this massive seed slash pre-seed round, but it also comes with a lot of expectations. So how are you going with all that? Uh, so, I mean, it's hard, right? I think starting uh, starting a, 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 an early stage startup is, is hard in anyone's books. This is why you typically see founders in two real age brackets. You see you know, the, the early founders who are coming straight out of, you know, who are typically in uni or just coming out of high school starting because there's no responsibilities, there's no bills to pay, you can start in your garage, right? And so you typically see that. And then people you know, build families, they build careers, and that's just not the time to do it. And so the typically the second stage you see a lot of founders coming up, um, and, and this is actually shown in the, the, the typical, the average age of a successful Silicon Valley founder is 43 years old, right? Because that's the point where the kids have, you know, largely through school and you can start to have some freedom again, you've got some financial stability, you can do that thing. 
Um, and so, yeah, I was 43 when I started crying. Did you find that? No, just felt like it was a lucky time. And, and you know, I think that um, that has been one of the driving forces, but then, you know, it, it would not be in any way possible without the support of my wife, who really was the, the one who said, you know, let's, you know, you can go and do this. I've been, you know, I had this be in my bonnet to do it for years and years and years, and it never was the right time. I think that the idea hadn't fermented properly yet. It wasn't ripe. It wasn't ready to create. And I think any other time, it wouldn't have been the right time to do it. And this was the right time. And it was really her saying, go and do this. This is the time for you to go and do it. Um, that allowed that to exist. And, you know, it's, it's, it's only because of her support um, that, that this has been in any way possible. But even so, starting a startup is the hardest damn thing you can ever do. This is why I take, you know, this is why kind is about trying to help people to, to start a company, you know, and trying to get as many of the hurdles out of the way as possible because it's freaking hard. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it, you have to be determined, you have to be focused. And to some extent, you have to sacrifice a lot of other things in your life. And so for me, it's about trying to find that balance to spend time with my family and my kids. Um, and a really interesting thing happened recently. My wife fell down the stairs and broke her arm, which is horrific. She ended up, you know, four hours surgery to repair it. Um, and awfully, it was one of the best things that's happened to us in our relationship because what it did was force me back closer to the family. Um, and forced me to take on a lot of her responsibilities and live that life um, and really understand what it meant to, you know, to, to do the things that she has to do in the day. And I think that that's brought me closer to her and closer to our kids and actually helped us as a, as a family unit. Um, it's also forced me to you know, put a bit more pressure onto the team and, and lean on them a lot heavier because you know, the, the role of, of CEO is a, is a really interesting one where um, you know, I think there's a tendency in, in early businesses to try and, as a CEO, to try and do everything. And then if you, there's a really great book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, I don't know if you, either of you read it, but in there, um, Ben talks about um, the, the, the type one and type two CEOs. The type one CEOs, very high strategic, and then they have a very strong executive team to go and actually execute on things. Um, and then there's the type two, which is a very executional-minded CEO who needs a very strategic um execution team and I fall firmly into the type one right I think you can imagine for me it's very much strategic big vision big ideas um, and so my role is really about you know creating that space creating those big thinking and then having a really strong executional muscle within the company and so for me it was learning you know through this you know my, my wife having this accident that I needed to rely more on those people to, to rely more on the on the team that I built around me to take on a lot more of that. So it was actually a really great opportunity, as shit as it was, as awful as it was for her to go through. I think it was a big, you know, a big enabler of us as a company and a big enabler of me to you know, get closer to my family. And so the, the thing I do to recharge is you know, time with my kids. The, the, I think the greatest thing that I've ever done, you know, bar none, um, you know, I think that the, the, the how I will have the, the single biggest impact is creating kids who are well-rounded and kind and give a shit about people. Um, that's the most important. No, no cheeky DUI swims to recharge. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a really quick question following on from that. I'm really interested in how founders delineate their career and their personal life. I think when me and Sasha are together, when we're trying to hang out, we end up brainstorming ideas, we talk about the podcast or other investments. Do you find like that you're like that or you're able to create some very clear boundaries between work time, family time? <coughs> 
I'd say I'm pretty terrible at that. Um, for me, those you know, there's always something going on in the back, and I've had to get I've had to get better over the years. This is not just as a founder; this has been career-wise. And I think I think that the the majority of founders come from that where you you get so obsessed with this thing that you just go and have to go and have to go and fix it. And you know, I was listening to a podcast. Um, I think it was the founder of of Netflix. Um, or possibly found of LinkedIn, one of the two, uh, was talking about how his wife had just gotten used to him kind of suddenly going distant. Um, and I'm definitely the same. I'll have something that's so big in my head that it kind of takes over a little bit. And I've had to get better at kind of dissociating and saying, you know, this is not the time. I'm not going to think about this. Let me focus on what matters and trying to kind of compartmentalize my life a little bit more so that I can, you know, when I'm with my family, I can be present in the moment. And then when I'm working, I can focus entirely on that. Um, I'm not a great multitasker. Um, I'm really, really great at focusing on one thing and really, you know, investing very heavily. I think that actually the the um, the best founders, the best probably the best workers are procrastinators. I think procrastination is a is a bit of a superpower that most people don't realize. Um, that ability to focus and do one thing really, really well, I think, is what sets you know great people apart from from people who are trying to do everything. Because if you're trying to do everything, you're never going to succeed at doing anything particularly well. That's awesome. Um, so many great lessons there and pieces of advice. And it, it's great that you put that thoughtfulness into your family life as well. I really like that. Um, but it's come time to do the quick fire round now. Okay. This yeah. is the time when we bring the podcast back into the personal after talking about all the ideas and the career. And we're basically going to ask you a series of around eight questions and you're going to have roughly 30 seconds to answer each one. Yeah. You ready for that? Let's do it. Cool. What's one of your favorite books and why? Um, I mentioned it earlier. I guess it's two of my favorites. It's The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Hogwarts and there's um, Shoe Dog, the, the Nike Story, both amazing books. Why those books? Uh, the hard thing about hard things, I think, is the is a great guide to how to build a product company, um, uh, and how to think about building teams and products. I think it's just a really great guide. I think Shoe Dog um, just takes you on the founder journey in such a tangible way that it helps you to to see how painful it is. Because um, I think there's a lot of, you know, if you look at Nike, you would think this has been a glamorous and easy story the whole way through. And the reality is there was basically no point in their history when it wasn't a shit journey, uh, when they weren't fighting like crazy. And I think that is the founder story. And so, you know, when, you, when you're looking for inspiration as a founder, when you're looking for motivation, you shouldn't be looking at like the glorified versions of what it's like to be a founder. You should be looking at the hard versions because that's where... You know, you're gonna you're gonna find your similarities. That's what it is. This is the toughest thing you're ever gonna do. So I think Shoe Dog is just a great example of that. What's one of your favorite podcasts and why? How I how I built this, Guy Raz, um, phenomenal. Like you know, speaks to some of the greatest leaders in the world. I guess the other one is Master of Scale. Um, the two of those, I'd say, are, you know, if you're if you're thinking of starting a startup, you should be listening to those rigorously. Um, because they, you know, they're, they're speaking to some of the greatest founders on the planet who are being very, very candid and open about their journeys, and you can learn so much from you know, the things that they teach in those. Having, it's interesting to have listened to you know, the Toby one and the Mike and Scott one, um, and then live through those companies as well, and seeing how you know, the reality of those things and how they actually play out. I think it's, to, have, to have heard how they speak about those things and seen how they actually 
translate into reality is really, really a great learning opportunity for a lot of people. And those are fantastic podcasts of storytelling as well. I think what's unique about them is that they've got this music, this backing track. Absolutely. And they're really telling a story rather than just bits of information. And Sachin actually recommended one to me the other day. I think it was Sal Khan who started Khan Academy. That oh, is yeah, yeah. the best podcast I've ever listened to on how I built this. Yes. That is a masterclass story. Yeah, Next question, what's one of your favourite hobbies and why? I think there's a few, um, I love, so both of my kids have recently picked up playing instruments. Um, so my eldest son plays the guitar, my youngest son plays the, the keyboard and or the piano and, and the baritone. Um, and I grew up playing guitar, I'm not very good at it, I can play it a little bit. And so having these, these two humans starting to play music and being able to sit down and jam with them is I think one of the greatest joys of my life is just spending time with them, you know, my eldest son learning the electric guitar and just falling in love with it and then being able to like pick up another guitar and play with him. Um, you know, that is just a great honor. Um, this, you know, it's not going to be forever that I get to do that. And so this is a really you know, amazing time. And so for me, I'd say that's probably one of, you know, the hobbies that I love and enjoy the most. Um, and you know, you can, you can just, you know, escape from the world when you play guitar. That's awesome. If you could have dinner with one person in history, who would it be? I think this is probably my answer would be a fairly like obvious one, and um, I think, but it would be Steve Jobs. I would love to spend a few hours with him and just really dig deep and pick his brain on on you know how he thinks about things and and how he created you know as as, as I think you can see. I'm a person who believes in studying how great cultures, great products were created. And Steve Jobs was the master of, of both storytelling, but also like creating great things and thinking about problems differently. And so I think to be able to spend a few hours with him and just you know, dig deep on how he did those, what were the things that set him apart, I think would be a masterclass. We actually haven't had that answer before. All surprisingly, right. we get a lot of Nelson Mandela and I mean, Barack I grew up in South Africa, obviously. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, amazing. So, uh, Ross, what's your favorite startup in Australia outside of Kind? Fantastic. Yeah, hands down. Then you know what Mike and Scott have created is is uh, you know a force in the world. It's something phenomenal. It's something that you know we reference almost daily at, at, at Kind. It's something that you know I've taken so many learnings from in my life. So I feel very fortunate. I think the second would probably be Dovetail. Um, you know the the founder Benjamin used to be on my team at Atlassian. Um, and what he's built is now just this phenomenal, phenomenal company, and he's now a mentor of mine. So it's really beautiful to see that switching of roles. So I think those two companies are companies that I think are, you know, they're generational. They're they're making a big impact on the world. They know how to create create cultures that are really, really healthy, um, and 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 will grow and continue to be, you know, do great things in the world. So I'd say those two companies. What's a crazy memory from your twenties? This was a long time ago. Um, I mean, probably, probably starting that first startup was, you know, was such a big, big time and learning so many foundational lessons about how to how to build things is probably the biggest one. And that was, you know, I guess the other one is getting married. Mm. That was a big, big, uh, big moment in everyone's life. It's, it's, you know. It's a long time ago now, but it's you know it, it uh, was about yeah still the most incredible day probably of my life besides maybe my kids being born. Wow. Yeah. And so Ross, 
This is something we love to ask our guests at the end of an episode. Um, but if you could leave our audience of future entrepreneurs, future leaders of the world with one thing from your life experience, what would it be? I think in particular for future entrepreneurs, I, I see this over and over again when I speak to founders coming up and, and, and trying to start the thing. This is fear of thinking bigger. There's this tendency in, in startups to, to want to really focus and build that one thing because there's this culture of building the MVP. Um, and, and so what people do is they tend to focus on building the now, building this thing in the short term. And, and so what they miss out on is, okay, but what's the, what's the real problem you're trying to solve? What's the big impact? What's, the, what's that universal problem that you're trying to solve? I think there's that fear of going after that because people are so conditioned to think, I need to go after this, this short-term thing. And I think that, I think that, you know, that's one of those things that said kind of part when, when investors were looking at us, we weren't talking about the short-term thing. We were talking about the step change in the universe. And I think that the best companies understand what the step change in the universe is. Um, you know, Mike and Scott very early in Atlassian were not talking about how do we build the best issue tracker in the world. They were talking about how do we advance humanity. Um, and, you know, to me, that's how great companies start. And I'd say, you know, if, if I wanted to, if I were to teach anyone anything, and this is something I try and part every time I talk to new founders is like, yes, what is it you're building now? But what is it that you're really building? What's the change you're gonna build? Because again, you're building a company, you're building a culture, you're building this change in the universe. The thing that you're building today is irrelevant. What's the big impact that you wanna have? So for us, you know, create a world with more founders, that's the biggest freaking thing that I could think of to go and solve. Because that's a problem that deserves to exist, a, a problem that deserves to be solved. Um, and so to me, like, if I could impart one thing, it's do that. Think about what the bigger thing is you're trying to solve. Wow, what an ending to that yeah. episode. Awesome. Think big, be passionate. I love it. 